Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and then we have Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. And I hope that you'll join us as we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations as well. And uh, we also have a YouTube channel. That YouTube channel, you can watch these conversations as they unfold. And uh, we hope that you will do so. And also subscribe. If not, uh, I would love for you to click on notifications so when a new conversation is posted, guess what? You'll be able to tune in and listen to uh, the conversation that we are going to have with our guest today. We also uh, ask that if you can support us financially, we would be gratefully appreciated. We would gratefully appreciate it. Uh, we have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. And um, all you have to do is put in my email address, richard at richarddugan.com when they ask for it. And um, we'll take any amount. We're, uh, we'll take energetic support as well. We are, we are um, certainly hoping that we're sending out um, good vibes, as it were, uh, as we do these programs as well. One other thing. This is the decade of perfect vision. Did you know that? It's the 2020s. I, didn't, I wasn't born with 2020 vision, ladies and gentlemen. I've shared this many times. But I know where I can get perfect vision for my life, for my life's path, for what I should be doing in my life by going within and listening to that still small voice. With all of that, we are going to join our guest now who is coming to us all the way from uh, Virginia. Uh, she has written, I, I will find out if this is considered to be a memoir, uh, although it's more of a family tree story. It's called The Pulitzer Saga, and it's Linda Ambrose uh, Brenneman. Is that correct? I get that right? Brenneman, yeah. Brenneman. All right. Yes. Well, Linda Brenneman, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It is really a pleasure to have you with us to, to talk about... Um, well, something that a lot of folks are finding out about within their own families. I'll be honest with you. As far as I know, I'm 63. I haven't heard any secrets in the family, but you, you found out something that um, probably, uh, I guess I, I'm going to use this phrase. You probably use a different phrase as, as you share in the book, rocked you to your core because it dealt with who you when you found out who you were and are today. And I throw out one more thing and I'll let you elaborate on that. And that is uh, there is a line in the new Testament that says, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So my first question to you, knowing the truth as you do today, are you free? <laughs> <laughs> what a great question and a loaded question. But first of all, Richard, I want to thank you for having me on this show. It's a real honor and pleasure to have this conversation with you. Um, so just a little bit of background, just as you said, um, I, well, first of all, 
before that, I, I grew up in what I thought was a normal family. You know, we, my parents were, were immigrants. They had survived World War II and came to the U.S. for a better life. We were raised Catholic. I was the middle child of seven. So I, a lot of siblings, a lot of friends, a lot of chaos in the house. But I just thought we had a normal childhood. Um, and we went to church every Sunday. And then in uh, when I was 27, by accident, I found out that my great-grandmother was Jewish. So mm-hmm. yes, the family secrets. And I think when I look back on the child my childhood, there were secrets. There were things that, you know, somehow as a child, I think you know, but you don't, it's all subconscious, I think. You don't really... You know there's secrets, you know something's not not fitting together, but you don't know what it was and what it is. And I think when that happens, you you do sort of take it very personally and um think there's something wrong. And is there something wrong with me? And is there something there's just this heaviness about, you know, what what is it that's not quite right and not quite fitting? So I think when I found out the truth, when I first found out that my grandmother, my great grandmother was Jewish, which meant that my father was Jewish, um, just sort of put it aside and didn't want to deal with it at all. And I, you know, I was busy trying to figure out what my career was going to be, who I was going to be and so on. But there was always this thing in the back of my head sort of nagging at me, you know, it's important to find the truth. And then there was certain events. I had gone to um, Budapest with my parents and learned a few more things. And then the little stories would come out. But I didn't really dig in and find the truth until um, really 2016, 2017, um, just about, you know, seven, seven years ago. Um what had happened was in 2011, my parents' house caught fire. And my sister um, was just sort of pulling things out so they wouldn't be destroyed, not necessarily by the fire, but by the water from the, from the uh, fire trucks. And unbeknownst to her at the time, she had pulled out one of those things. So it was a box and she put it away and, Five years later, when I, or six years later, when I started to, when I decided I was going to look, excuse me, into my parent, into my history, she found the box. And I don't know, I think it was a miracle that that happened. I think someone was watching over us and wanted this to happen. And that box contained a lot of pictures and documents and letters. And it was sort of the impetus for me to really say, okay, it's time now to really focus and learn learn who I am, Mm. learn who my ancestors were. Well, I, I share, I was born and raised being taught about my, uh, not, not heavily uh, that I was of Irish uh, descent Mm -hmm. and about mm, probably 10 years ago, I did one of the things that a lot of people do. And I sent off uh, for a uh, genie, a test, a DNA test. 
And I was sorely disappointed that I'm only, I believe it's uh, less than 10% Irish. <laughs> uh, I am more Native American. And when I say American, I don't mean huh? the United States. I mean North, Central, and South American. Interesting. But I said I share something with you. I am 1% European Jew. Eastern, <laughs> Eastern European <laughs> Jew. So, shalom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would bet, you know, I would bet that the a huge um, percent of the population has that because one of the things, you know, people assimilated and, you know, they mar intermarried and had children and who knows? I yeah. think that's, it's very interesting to find, find that information. It is. And it also may explain a little bit of why I have such an affinity for uh, interviews with uh, with rabbis. I've had a number ah. of them over the years. I have absolutely. Uh, I, I, now I have not. Inter I don't believe I've interviewed. Maybe once I have a female rabbi. <laughs> but I do understand enough to know the level of study they go through. So when we get together and converse, um, I'm just sitting there, so to speak, uh, metaphorically at their feet, wanting yeah. to just take in. Uh, what they have to share. And it, it the thing that I have found so fascinating when I talk about philosophies, that's what I refer to them as philosophies. Mm -hmm. uh, I was born and raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the Catholic philosophy. All right. And so forth. And so I'm already well prepared when it comes to the ritual, the ceremony traditions, uh, the holy days of the, of the Catholic calendar uh, and so forth. I remember one. <laughs> I remember one year making a huge deal out of of um, Hanukkah, or if you want to pronounce it Hanukkah, and mm -hmm. uh, I was then uh, sort of um, uh, sort of corrected. Uh, they changed my trajectory on that by saying, "Yes, it is a holy period of time, but it's not one of the major ones." Okay, right. you just kind of bring it down a couple of notches. Okay. And yet I love the message, of course. And um, so I have found it fascinating to have these conversations. Now, the and I also brought up the whole issue of DNA and, and so forth to let you, the listener, know that there's a special day coming up in March. Now, March for me over the last two years, and even uh, even with the meeting of my present wife, uh, met her in early March of 1998. Wow. But uh, I also, Thanks. in terms of genealogy, I have uh, two losses. One is my eldest sister two years ago, end of March, I think it was the 29th. And then last year, 2023, my father passed away mm -hmm. on the 1st of March. Oh, and so sorry. Well, you know, what's interesting about it is that Though I yes, I have had uh, I've had my tears over the loss of my father. Um, uh, early on, I think of him now, and I don't know about you with with loss uh, with with ancestors that you may have been close to who are no longer with us physically. Uh, my sister, my eldest sister, the day of her passing, when I received that phone call, which I thought was going to be about my father that year, uh, I heard her voice. 
saying, mm -hmm. Richard, hey, Richard, everything's okay. It's good. With my father, I get impressions. Or if I'm speaking out loud, wanting to encourage myself, I'm thinking, wait a minute, where'd that come from? And I think that's my father. Because in the last, I'm going to say 30, maybe 40 years of my life, he would always tell me in conversations how proud of me he was. Oh, how and nice. That's not to say that he didn't say that when I was younger. I was a little bit more cantankerous back when, and most young <laughs> people are, teenagers are. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, so he would use other phrases, nothing derogatory, mind you, but just, you know, but he, he, he had this sense, and this is something I'm curious about in terms of the influences that the people you found out about. And there are, I want to say, I was almost going to say hundreds. There might be, but it's definitely dozens and dozens of people in your ancestry. Uh, my father did not think that he made a, a real difference in our lives because he thought he really wasn't there all the time. He was a nine to five or he worked in a print shop. And my mother would take him to work in the morning at 7.30 and she'd pick him up in the evening at 5. And he was home with us and he built things with us and for us, worked on the car, even though he couldn't drive and so on and so on. And so our memorial for him was, and it was unplanned, unscripted in this respect. Um, Dad, we, your children, would not be who we are if it hadn't been for you. What about your ancestors? Can you look at any particular set? Now, certainly you mentioned your, your what was it, your grandfather? Mm -hmm. um, are there specific ancestors that you have tapped into or maybe that you have known in your younger days who um, you can look at and say, yeah, I wouldn't be who I am today if it hadn't been for this person or that person, this aunt, uncle, cousin, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. That is a, I think that's true of um, almost all my ancestors going all the way back. So, you know, one of the things that was really um, amazing in this whole journey for me was that we found books written by my ancestors so that I could, I could really understand the stories mm -hmm. going back eight generations. And for example, you talk about, you know, who I am. I wouldn't be here if Isaac back in the 1700s hadn't escaped, <laughs> hadn't run because he got in a fight with, um, with his landlord and used the Lord's name in vain. And at that time, the punishment, since he was a Jew, the punishment would have been death. Whoa. Yep. And so he escaped. And that's that's sort of the first story in the book that I start with. And and then sort of on on and on, there's you know, another um great you know, great-grandmother from basically the 1700s again, her name was Rachel. And Rachel, uh, Rachel's parents and her brothers um, decided to convert and come to America because that was the promised land. And she didn't want to come to America and she didn't want to convert. And she went through 
a trial. And here she was a young girl. She's probably only 13 or 14. She went through a trial where she had to walk down an aisle with Jews on one side and um, and Christians on the other. And at the end, she could choose her own religion and she chose Jew uh, Judaism. And the rabbi said to her, um, all of your descendants will be blessed. So I feel like I'm blessed after finding this story with all of my ancestors. But then to, to keep it um, a little closer to home with, with my parents, my, you know, who I knew, obviously, um, my, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have been the person I was. And, you know, my father was very strict and he was, all, you know, very distant because I think, I think it took a lot of energy to keep the secrets. Um, my mother was very caring, very loving. She, as a matter of fact, um, it was honored as a righteous um, Gentile. I don't know if you know what that is, but just I for your I heard the word often, but not familiar with the context. Please, if you could share that with us. Yeah, um, the sort of the most famous is um, is uh, uh, Schindler. But it's the highest honor that the Jews give to non-Jews um, for, for saving Jews during the Holocaust. So my mother saved numerous people mm -hmm. during the Holocaust, and including my <clears throat> father after he escaped from labor camp and my grandmother. Um, so at any rate, she was she was just a very kind and humble person. But you can imagine the courage and bravery that that took. And I think um, I think that piece um, I think about often and I think I, I, I aspire to be very much like her, to have that kind of courage mm. to, to do the right thing at the right time um, and to be compassionate and generous. Yeah. with all people now you talk about family secrets um coming up in march on the 9th as i mentioned is a genealogy day now i've obviously i've had my dna tested and i think you only need to do it once because your dna doesn't really i don't think it changes significantly in any way uh, <laughs> once it's been formed uh once the uh, egg and the sperm come together that's it's done it's uh, baked in um and yet the technology gets better and better where they can still take that same information and dig deeper and deeper and deeper to maybe uh, define, like in my case, um, uh, North Central South American Indian. OK, well, what tribes? Well, I, you know, maybe that's possible in that regard, because for me, growing up in the southwest in Phoenix, Arizona, I didn't want to interfere or or put myself somewhere that I had no business being when it came to Native Americans. I mean, I figured private, it's none of my business. Yeah, I'd like to know, but if they want to share it, I'm here. You know, if not, that's okay. Um, and now it's like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, you can do whatever you want now because you're part of the group now. <laughs> and it's the same thing with Judaism. Um, I, I want to ask you about this searching this that you went on and you say that you really only found out about seven years ago 2017 right mm -hmm. i'm going to 
Uh, I'm curious as to where the, the heavy part of the research or searching went on. And you do a wonderful job at the end of the book of giving a list of, uh, of um, uh, places that you consulted, uh, documents and articles and this and that and the other and so forth, a sort of a, a bibliography, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's important because in this unfortunate day and age where nobody trusts anything, but then again, Abraham Lincoln did say, don't trust anything you uh, read on the Internet. <laughs> uh, that people, even if you go to them and say, oh, yeah, this is what I found. So I don't believe you because they're so vested in their position. They're not willing to open their minds to the possibility uh, that maybe what you're telling them is true. And even if you do give them the documents to verify it, and these are primary source documents, as the term goes. I don't believe you. These are fake. You made it on Photoshop or whatever program. <laughs> and this is like, wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> then we can't trust anything that we learned in school in terms of history and science and 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 the list goes on. But um, I'm curious as to how you were able to verify this information to where you said, no, this is true. This is this is my history. Yeah, that's such a great question. You know, I first of all, I was really lucky because most of the original documents, for example, that I found in that book, the you know documents that were birth certificates and death certificates and and um, things that I, I I didn't really understand what they were official documents, um, and they were all in Hungarian, and I don't speak Hungarian or or read Hungarian, so mm-hmm. um, and. Google Translate is, does not work very well for Hungarian. Um, so I needed to go to somebody who could help me with that. And through a friend of a friend, I found um, an incredible person. Andras Kaczynski was his name. Um, he was a lawyer and a sociologist in Hungary. So Everything we did, you know, was really over Zoom for the most part. You know, he did a lot of original research. He went to document, I mean, he found things in places that you would never expect. And he would go to the original source of these documents. So, you know, back in, in Hungary, fortunately, several things were saved in, in archives. And there were these humongous books that were like so big um, and they had, you know, written, handwritten names and, and dates and money and such things. Um, and these dated back again from the 17 and 1800s. So he would, but he also found, he found newspaper articles and, and um, books and so on. And he would verify everything. If he couldn't find, um, if he found something, he would look at two or three other different sources and make sure it was true and it was real. And it was hard then also because of spelling. Um, And for example, Sigmund Pulitzer wrote a book called Our Family History. And so we we were trying to learn a lot more about Sigmund Pulitzer, but Pulitzer could be spelled with an O, with a U, with two L's. It was spelled a number of different ways. 
And also Sigmund could be spelled with an S, with a Z, with, with a U, with an O. So he would he would go back and make sure it was, yes, this is the Zygmunt Pulitzer mm-hmm. that were that is my great, great, great uncle. So it, it was um it was truly um it, he just made sure that he could verify in three or four different ways mm. to make sure it was the truth. Now, because of what you've just described, is there any connection between your family, your ancestors, and the prize that, that bears the name that's spelled with a U, Pulitzer? Well, they came from the town of Pulitz, which is now a town in, in um, called Police uh, Ujemnice in Czech Republic. But at mm. that time, it was a town called Pollitz. And so, yes, they were from the same town. They definitely knew each other because um, we found letters between Adam Pulitzer and Joseph Pulitzer's brother. And they called each other cousin. But, you know, we were never able to verify whether we were true cousins. Mm. But Sigmund Pulitzer, who I just mentioned, married Irma Pulitzer, and Irma was Joseph's cousin. So a lot of these families, I think they knew each other and they were friends, if not relatives. And I think there was a lot of intermarriage back then too. So (laughs) (laughs) they're very well. (laughs) Well, there you go. And uh, have that in the South too, I guess. Uh, That's the rumor. That's the rumor. Okay. I'm not. I think it was all over the world. (laughs) No disrespect to anybody. The Pulitzer Saga is the title of the book. P-O-L-I-T-Z-E-R. The Pulitzer Saga. The website is PulitzerSaga.com. We'll be linked to that website, Linda. Linda Brenneman is my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I find these conversations fascinating because, to me, part of the conversation uh, that we've sort of already had has to do with the passing of family members, as I have mentioned, of, of not only relatives, blood relatives, but also members of the family who were not blood. I have a dear friend who passed May 1st of last year, 2023, who I grew up with. I knew him for 53 of the 63 years of my existence on this planet. And you know how, uh, I I don't know if you remember um, this television show, the Mary Tyler Moore show. And uh, she was at a funeral for a clown. And the gentleman had died. And she's trying to hold back laughter. Well, when I think of my friend, and I I wish I could remember why I called him Smokey. One day, maybe it'll come to me. His name is Doug. (laughs) And um, every time I think about him, and every time I have, since I was told that he had passed on, I, I, I can't cry. It's not because I don't want to. I'd like to. But I laugh. I can't help but laugh because we had so much fun together. Uh, went through grade school, high school, and college. What about you in terms of uh, some of the relationships that you have had over the years? And um, the connections that you have had with people who aren't with us or with you anymore. 
Do you find, uh, have you been able to find that, uh, I'm going to call it that sweet spot. Um, I mean, I remember one afternoon I was taking a shower and I just broke down over my father. And it must have been five or ten minutes I stood there. I have an audio tape going back to 1981 of my friend Smokey and a couple of other people in the studio. And we were doing, we were playing radio. I even featured that on one of these programs. <laughs> um, we just had so much, so much fun. Do you have relationships even today through the veil, if you will, through the ethers with people that you've had in your life like that? You know, I, I I'm yes. And I I'm going to, um, yes, is the short answer. And I think part of, um, I think this journey has really brought me closer together with my ancestors. So when I started this, I wanted to learn about my great grandmother, Margit. And I sometimes sort of feel her with me, encouraging me. And as with my mother, my mother, I think, wanted us to find these, the truth of the story. My mother was all about the truth. And I, so I, I really have sensed both of them sort of on my shoulders, encouraging me to find my way. And I, I, I'll be honest, I talk with them often. And, um, and one of the things I do, I have, I have a dog. And so I take her for a walk every morning and, um, we have lovely woods behind our house. So I, I'm in the woods. And um, the other thing is my father loved animals and my father loved hawks particularly. So I often see a hawk circling around and I, and I just sort of look at the hawk and I say, thanks, dad. Thanks for sticking with me. <laughs> so, yeah. So those are the kinds of things that, that I've experienced. It's fascinating to look back. My mother actually wrote a book. Uh, it's it's not a hard by the way i have to compliment you and your publicist for the design of the book it's it is it's not a thick book but it's a heavy book <laughs> and it's wonderful i i was i was flipping through it earlier and the pictures wonderful color photographs and images and the list goes on you even have uh, I believe I'm correct in this. Uh, you have in here uh, a page, uh, two pages that fold out near the beginning of the book, which if I'm correct, this is like your the genealogy, your your family tree. Family tree. Oh, yes. my heavens. It's just incredible. Uh, my mother actually put together something not quite as elaborate in terms of the book um, that's uh, more spiral bound uh, of, mm -hmm. of her family. And going back, I, I don't know how many generations she went back but uh, and it yeah, once again they don't have to be real thick and that kind of thing but you also have a page in the back and you referenced this earlier you have a page in the back uh, a list of those who were members of your family your ancestry who i don't want to say were who died who were killed in the holocaust yeah what what first of all i'm curious as to your perspective of the holocaust when you were a catholic 
And then your perspective of the Holocaust when you found out you were actually Jewish. Wow, another great question. You know, I think part of the part of my issue was just, you know, we we've all learned about the Holocaust, but we don't really understand and know about the Holocaust. And so so learning about the personal and what my ancestors went through mm. and taking that all in is it's just mind-boggling it's you know it's it's hard to think about for you know i'll give you an example my great-great-grandfather he was a very prominent lawyer he was really one of the founders of the budapest bar association mm -hmm. so um so in 1938 was a, a big um i don't know it like a 50-year celebration or something like that. And he was celebrated. He was, you know, interviewed. He, you know, there was numerous articles about what he did and, and you know, all of this, um, you know, celebrating him. And then, you know, then, actually, that was, I'm sorry, 1934, I think. So less than 10 years later, he's, he died of starvation in the ghetto. Hmm. Um, so he had all of his property stripped away from him. He was, he, and here he had, um, you know, he had uh, a farm that he was no longer, that he loved and he loved his trees and he loved his gardens. His farm was stripped away. He had a villa in the Buddha Hills that was taken from him. He actually was forced out of their house in Pest, and the whole family was forced to live in a in one room in what was called the Yellow Star House. Now, if you can imagine, and they were given only five days to move, and and there's lists that that were in the box. There's lists of what he took with him, and what he left behind though those lists are not complete because most of the valuables were hidden. And so it didn't include the truly valuable things. Mm -hmm. But here you can imagine this, this person who was so celebrated. And then 10 years later, he has nothing. He's stripped of everything and he ends up dying of starvation. Wow. It's just, and so it's those personal stories. I think when you learn those, all of a sudden, the six million becomes one that's very personal. Mm. But these stories are repeated six million times. Everyone has their own story. Well, it's probably so, six million, six hundred million, six billion over the course of human history. We just the phrase that uh, you, we hear all the time is that if we uh, if we refuse to uh, learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. One of my guests said, "What?" What are we supposed to learn? And I thought that was a rather unusual question based upon the statement. Yeah. What are we supposed to learn that we can be better than we are? We're not bad, but we can be better. There's always room for improvement. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. 
You Linda, know, I think. Go ahead. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say Linda Brenneman's my guest. The book is entitled The Pulitzer Saga. Linda, please continue. Yeah, no, what I was what I was going to say is I think, you know, we all have this fear of people that are different from us. And I think um, if we are just able to sort of open our hearts and understand other people and start to have conversations, I think that's what we need to learn from and to start to be better. Because actually when there's different people and, you know, diverse personalities and diverse cultures, it, it actually benefits us. It makes our lives so much more rich. You know, um, the radio station that I, I currently work for, I have worked for for almost 18 years. I started out part time. And it was just recently sold. Mm -hmm. And the new owners agreed to keep the format the same. So we're still doing the same programming, the same uh, news talk and information kind of thing, along with this program. And they moved the station to another part along the South Coast. We were in Santa Barbara, actually on Santa Barbara Street. Oh, nice. And we were, interestingly enough, we were facing the east. The building itself faced the east. They moved us into a new building in a, in a town called Galita, which is just west. Uh, it's like Santa Barbara. And then there's a space in between Santa Barbara and Galita called Nolita. It's, uh, I think it's county. <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> no, one has, no one has annexed it. And so we're in Galita, but we're on the main street called Hollister. The building itself faces south or to the ocean. But as I sit talking to you, I'm facing north towards the mountain. Now, to what you're talking about, in Santa Barbara, the majority of the retail that I can walk over to the main street called, called uh, State Street is uh, predominantly white. But on Hollister here in Goleta, California, it's predominantly Hispanic. And mm -hmm. I walked into one of the restaurants to order some lunch. And somebody else had to come up and help me because the woman I was talking with, I think she was the wife of the husband who was the cook. She didn't speak any English. So I'm sitting here thinking, might behoove me to learn a little Spanish. <laughs> Especially considering on my mother's side of the family, when we were growing up at my grandmother's house, my mother would be having conversations with my grandmother, sometimes in Spanish. Now, I don't know how much of that my mother remembers these days as far as the language. I took one whole semester of it in high school to avoid an additional semester of English. I should have stayed. I should have stayed in English. But I still think that this is one of those aspects. I know there's a lot of animosity in this country that really needs to change because people are complaining. I hear this. They're, they're, they're usurping and destroying my culture. Well, let me ask you a question, Mr. Usurped. When was the last time you actually, shall we put it this context, practiced or exhibited or shared your culture? What is mm -hmm. your culture? You know, because there are many people who live in all parts of the world whether you're Jewish, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're black or whatever, 
you have a culture. And what part of that are you, uh, what part of that culture are you living? Yeah. What do, what do you think about that in terms of the, the, we'll call it the necessity to stay connected to one's culture and yet at the same time to be open enough to experience someone else's? I think that's so important in this day and age, truthfully. Um, you know, I, I, I want to go back to one thing that you said, you know, when we were brought up, my mother always said, it doesn't matter what color someone's skin is, mm -hmm. what religion they are, what their economic status is, wherever they're from, you show them respect and dignity and caring. So we were brought up that way. And you know, what's interesting is my parents, um, they wanted to show us all different cultures. We traveled, we traveled quite a bit, mm. um, not only to Europe, but we went to um, Japan, you know, the Far East. We went all over to South America and they felt it was really important to learn about other cultures and to understand other cultures and to be a world citizen while still being an American citizen mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and really, you know, knowing and loving your country, but you can still know and love your country and, and be aware of all of these other um, cultures. It's important. Yeah. In my family, though, that was certainly encouraged. Uh, in my family, it was music. Uh, my parents yeah. wanted us to have music in our lives. Yes. And some of us have uh, moved that forward. I've I've been in certain groups and this and that and the other. I went. Uh, I was in. Um, I guess you'd call it the high group in high school. The Madrigals loved that because, especially around Christmas time, you'd go around to the different places and you'd sing and. And, and it was it was just wonderful. And then when we moved to Santa Barbara, uh, it was funny because I joined this choral group that also uh, the it was a men's group that would break down into quartets. And as I am being a part of these quartets and I'm sharing this with my father, I learned only after, you know, 40 or 45, 50 years. Oh, yeah, I was in a quartet when I was younger. Really? <laughs> Seriously? Okay. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, my dad also played instruments. I have his harmonica. Oh, uh, how wonderful. I actually, I, I have not taken the time to learn to play it. I've read the instructions, <laughs> which, which by the way, uh, both the case and the instructions, as well as the harmonica are in pristine shape. I mean, oh. it's like, Wow. Okay. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with it and, and see if I can't, you know, figure it out. You know, the it's kind of like um it's kind of like uh bagpipes in the sense that uh you never have to stop making music to take a breath because the sound is made as you inhale and you exhale, where obviously with a bagpipe you have that airbag. And right. you slowly press it, but you fill it back up again, but you're still pressing and there's still sound that's continuous, which is amazing to me. Uh, as How fun. And what uh, a great way to connect with your father. Yeah. 
uh, as opposed to the baritone that I played in high school where you had to stop and take a breath <laughs> to, continue, uh, to continue on. That's the space between the notes that they say is the most important aspect of music. Right. As we as we continue talking about the Pulitzer uh, saga, I'd like for you, if you wouldn't mind, because um, I observe things and I then comment on them. I'm looking at both the front and the back cover. Now, the back cover is pretty self-explanatory. The diagram, if you will, or the image, the outline is I, I would take it of a uh, the outside of a basic Jewish temple. Correct. A synagogue. Well, it's it's a it's a Jewish synagogue, but it is specifically the Jewish synagogue from Pulitz, um, ah. which which was renovated and uh, exists today. Wow. So, yeah. That's very cool. Well, that's on the back of the cover, folks. And by the way, just so you know, yeah, it's a hard cover copy that I happen to have here. Like I said before, beautifully put together. Uh, the presentation is just fantastic. But I wanted to ask you about the tree. Uh, and you've got the tree, the basic uh, from the trunk up and the branches and everything. And then you have the roots under underneath, underground and so forth. I'm curious as to the branch that goes off to the right that's down away from is there any symbolism in this image or is this just the image that was selected well no there is symbolism because one of the things if you look below in the center it's and it's very very um it doesn't stand out too much but it's the star of david so the Star of David is there within the roots. Oh my gosh, I see it now. Yeah. Wow. wow. Very subtle, but um, that's that is the symbolism because here, wow. you know, I I didn't know my roots and I didn't have my roots and and learning about this ancestry, it it now I have these incredible roots and and the Star of David. Judaism is a key part of that. That's very cool. How about that branch that goes off to the right with those two fluffy little things there? Is there some symbolism there? No, no symbolism there. We That's... just wanted to, hey, you know, it was it's broad, right? Here, so your your roots go broad and they go deep, and I think that was to. Mm -hmm. Show maybe, that. Maybe that's the Catholic part of your life that uh, you had, <laughs> but the rest of it is all Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. On my mother's side, it's all Catholic. On my father's side, it was Jewish. I'm I'm curious because no one's ever asked me this as far as being Catholic. Uh, but I'm just curious if how you how would you respond if someone was to ask you the question? And I'm not this is more of a rhetorical. <laughs> what's it what's it like to be a Jew? <laughs> You, you know, for me, for me, what's interesting is religion has never really played an important part of my life. Mm. And so it's not so much the religion, it's it's the culture and it's what these mm. people represented. And when you look at my ancestors, they faced, you know, it wasn't just the Holocaust, but you know, going back each generation, they just faced cataclysmic events, which were even more difficult because they were Jewish. Um, and certainly with the Holocaust, that was, you know, anti-Semitism at its worst. Yeah. But but I think um I think what stands out for me is 
is their resilience, their, their, you know, they were, they were just people. They wanted, they wanted the best for their family. They wanted the best for their friends. They believed in service. Mm -hmm. They believed in giving back and making the world a better place. And, um, and so even though these events, you know, in some cases decimated their lives, their very lives, um, they, they survived. Yeah. They survived. One of the other aspects that I find fascinating too, I haven't delved that much into my ancestry, although I have that book from my, uh, of my, uh, that my mother put together, but uh, you talk about, and this to me goes to how proud we should be of other cultures and their accomplishments. Um, not envious, but excited by the fact that they did these things. For example, you found out, uh, about ancestors who were highly accomplished doctors, entrepreneurs, industrialists, artists, and musicians, uh, art collectors, and and the list goes on. This is one of the things I've never fully been able to understand about people who have that, we'll call it, uh, what I guess I have to call it what it is, that anti-Semitic slant, especially, for example, when it comes to the entertainment industry. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, well, wait a minute, hold on a second. Could you hold on just a second here? Why can't you be happy for the fact that they found, they, forgive me for using that term here, they found an industry that they succeed in, that they excel in. What do you excel in that we can be proud of? Please don't tell me it's that you hate the Jews or what they stand <laughs> for or what they believe or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's, I, I think also about, and I'm sure you've probably heard the story by now uh, of um, uh, what they referred to. I think it was referred to as Black Wall Street in Oklahoma. I think it was Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And how the people were so envious and hateful that they not only destroyed the physical Wall Street, if you will, Black Wall Street, but they killed dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people. Because they were successful. Yeah. Um, are you finding that people respond well? And how do you respond to people who don't respond well to you uh, when it comes to, unfortunately, your, uh, how do I put, Jewishness, Judaism? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have to say I have been lucky so far. In that um, I most people have responded, you know, with this book and especially, you know, going back, I grew up in Buffalo, New York and going back to Buffalo where my parents had become prominent citizens. Um, but people didn't know they that my father was Jewish, um, but they've they've been very welcoming and have um, have really loved the book. So uh, I haven't yet run across those people. I'm sure I will at some point, but they're out there. But um, for the most part, it's been very well accepted. So, Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, even just the, as I said before, just the presentation of the book itself. uh, It's And and, uh, one of my managers of a station I worked for back in Phoenix, a Christian evangelical station, if you will, uh, he made the comment to me, and rightly so. Presentation is everything. And uh, he was talking, of course, about us going out and doing remotes 
in public, setting things up, making sure things were neat and uh, and wires were taped down and so on and so on and so on. And uh, and it's true. Presentation is everything. People will respond in such a way that you, you won't believe if you do the best you can to put your best foot forward. There is a philosophy that I have lived by all my career, and that is um, work with what you have until you get what you want. Um, I've done that over the years in terms of working with the equipment that we had. I mean, my goodness, uh, most of the stations I worked for, the, the equipment was certainly not state of the art. It was maybe 10, 15, 20 years old, if not older. The equipment we're working with now, specifically, for example, this console that I, I work at, I've been here 18 years. It's the same one, which means it's at least 20 and maybe more years old. However, guess what? It still works. It's still doing its job. So um, hopefully we won't need replacement parts, but if we do, you know, our technology is to the point now where if we do need, I mean, I have a lens uh, implant in my right eye. Uh, um, and, um, so I've got, I've got one, uh, I guess you could call it one spare part that, that I've had <laughs> installed uh, <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's just fascinating to me to, to look back. Um, one other aspect too, that we'll touch on before we wrap things up here. When, when my, my, when my present wife and I went to Ireland, we've been there twice. And the first time as we were driving from Dublin down to, um, Lismore, Ireland, down in County Waterford in the south of Ireland, we were passing one cemetery after another. And my wife wanted to stop. And I thought, that's kind of morbid. Yeah, geez, that's kind of creepy. Not that I had a problem with cemeteries, mind you. Just, And then it dawned on me as we're going through one of these cemeteries and these incredible stat, this incredible statuary and so forth the towns that these cemeteries were in would not be here if it weren't for the people lying here in the ground. They have left behind a legacy that continues to this day. Yeah. What is your thought in regards to legacy and your lineage, if you will, that you have found and shared in the Pulitzer saga. Before I do that, I want to go back to the cemetery for a second, because I was so with you. I did not like to go to cemeteries at all, but having gone to the Jewish cemetery outside of Budapest is called the Cosmos street cemetery and seeing all of these crypts. And I have pictures of them in the book. It, it was such a connection for me to my family. It was like a proof. And going back to what you had said about how do we verify, that's proof that these people lived, mm -hmm. that they lived and and they died and they still live within us. So, so I think when you go back and talk about legacy, I think, I think the fact, it, what was important to me was here were these people that had been hidden by my father's secrets. And so bringing them out 
being able to share their names and share their stories. And, you know, as I, as I end in the book and, um, you know, it's the Jewish, um, the Jewish statement of remembrance that says, may their memory be for a blessing. And these people are such a blessing to me. I feel them in my bones now. Mm. And, um, and all of the things that they've gone through, all of their traumas, and yet all of their resilience and their their um, their incredible um, their their values, their their wanting to be of service to the country, to mm -hmm. to their fellow man. I think those that's the legacy that sort of lives with on with mm. lives on their legacy. And it lives on through you and through the book, The Pulitzer Saga. Uh, I hope that you folks will get a copy of it. Now, I ask this question quite often of guests who've written books. Uh, this one probably would not lend itself real well to Audible. Because there are so many pictures. The pictures, to, yeah. And, you know, to me, the pictures were so important because, once again, it makes, the, it, makes it come alive. It makes these people who were so incredible come alive so mm -hmm. yeah i agree well i'm sure that uh people will really enjoy getting a copy if you can get i would assume that it's only available in the hardcover version it's not paperback it's not paperback but it's also um it's also on kindle it's an ebook so you'll be able to see the pictures even on kindle cool yeah very yeah. very cool well uh, this is, it's a wonderful opportunity, folks. And by the way, Pul Pulitzer, Pul uh, is it Pulitzer or Pulitzer? Pulitzer. 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 I should yeah. know that. I should know that. I took enough English that uh, <laughs> an O with two consonants behind it is is a short O, Pulitzer. Uh, Pulitzersaga.com is the website. We'll be linked to that website too, by the way, uh, Linda, so that folks can <clears throat> find out more about you and what you're doing and uh is now is this the one volume that we have here because it doesn't say volume one uh is this pretty much it or do you have more that uh, you might be sharing somewhere down the road well i yes there there will be more down the road but um right now this is the only one but it'll be a few years yet i've got a lot of a lot of notes and a lot of things but yeah uh, and there are, also, again. there are also some am i correct sh some short like seven or eight minute films that, that go along uh, on the website or. On well, YouTube yeah. So, yeah. So the other thing that we didn't really talk about was uh, this, this is the basis of an exhibit and it's a permanent exhibit in the Rombach synagogue in Budapest. And those, um, the exhibit is made up of 10, seven minute films um, that are all based on, on my family stories. Oh, wow. That's very cool. That is very cool. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe these films would be available online somewhere for people if they can't make it to Budapest, um, they, they would be able to see them. So do a little research there. Yep. Right now they're in Hungarian. So trying to get them in English, too. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, but, but even just seeing the images would be would be a wonderful thing just to to have that connection. And that's really what it's all about. That's what we're trying to do is connect connect yes. people and connect with people. Um, you know, it's, it's great. If you want to be a lone wolf, you want to be a, a solo and all that kind of stuff, but um, 
as I've often said, if if the good Lord had intended for each one of us to live a solitary life, I know there are enough Class M planets out in the universe that you and I and every single of the 8 billion plus could occupy a single planet. But the reality is we're all here together. And that tells me just from sheer logic that we're here to work and play and love and live together. And um, I'm hoping that uh, folks uh, around the world who unfortunately are going through some rather tumultuous times can find it in their hearts to say, you know what, I've had enough. I do remember a survey that was taken of young people, both in Israel and Palestine, and this goes back maybe 15 or 20 years, who basically were saying to their elders, their parents, and so forth and so on, this little tiff you've got, this little Hatfield and McCoy thing you got going on with the other side, we don't want any part of it. That's your story. That's not ours. And I loved what one artist did. Uh, he was a photographer. And he would go, he went into Israel and he would take people, pictures of people who were doing what you might consider common everyday jobs, a grocery clerk, a cab driver, etc. And he would then go to the other side and he would take similar pictures of the same occupations and so forth on the other side. Then he would take cab driver, Israeli cab driver, Palestinian cab driver, and he would go to the wall on both sides and he would go to one side and he'd put up both of those images and ask the viewers, can you tell which one is Israeli and which one is Palestinian? They couldn't now on both sides of the wall. He did this before he was arrested <laughs> a few times. Eventually they stopped arresting him. And it just goes to show that you, you, how do you know who is your enemy when you can't, I mean, we had the saddest thing happen in Phoenix, Arizona, the day 9-11 happened, the events. We had a, a gentleman shoot another human being who was wearing a turban. Oh my. He didn't even know who this gentleman was. It, he was a Sikh. Mm. He was not Arab. Uh, it, it, you know, so it's like we're trying to open people's eyes. I, I hope we're having some some level of success um, as we uh, continue talking with Linda Brenneman here on Tell Me Your Story. The Pulitzer, the Pulitzer Saga, the Pulitzer Saga, PulitzerSaga.com is the website. Linda Brenneman is my guest. And uh, Linda, I want to thank you for giving us so much time here on the program. It is just, uh, it's been wonderful to have this conversation. I'm hoping that people will uh, take uh, what you have shared here on the program as well as what you share in the book and on your website, uh, take it to heart and understand that we are more alike than we are different. We all have gone through some horrific stuff uh, or our ancestors and their ancestors. And that's what makes us similar in that respect. We are each different. That is true. But we're uniquely similar because we all share the same emotions just different stories. And thank you for sharing yours here on the program. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a wonderful conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. I do have three final questions for you. 
And I'll I'll ask you those questions in just a moment. First, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. And we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations too numerous to mention. We are also on YouTube where you can watch these videos, and we certainly hope that you will do so. And um, we will also uh, uh, be very interested to hear from you if you'd like to support the work we're doing. Uh, we can use all the help we can get financially. We have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And uh, we also hope that um, you will spend time during this decade of perfect vision listening to that still small voice while you go within, uh, listening to that intuition, if you will. Uh, however you want to phrase it, um, it's there for you during uh, where you'll get perfect vision, not for anybody else. I've always found it frustrating when I would hear at that Christian station I worked for, God has told me to tell you, uh, God uh, has a, uh, a direct line. I'll even take the collect call. So I hope that uh, you folks will spend time going within. And with all of that being said, uh, let me ask you those three final questions as we wrap things up. The first of those is, who is Linda Brenneman? I, I, you know, I, I, um, that's a good question. I think right now an author, um, uh, a wife, um, uh, adopted, uh, I have two adopted, um, children who are not, not truly adopted, but, uh, two Afghan girls that lived with us, um, for many years, um, and uh, I'm a I'm a person who just wants to help make the the world a better place. What gets you up in the morning? I think that I think um, I think trying to be of service, trying to be of service to and and doing the best I can do in a day, mm. whatever with whatever tasks are put ahead of me. But um, yeah, I think it's it's uh, just trying to trying to make the world a little better place. And finally, what was your best day? Oh my goodness. Wow. That's a really tough one. Um, you know, something I want to say every day is a best day. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> every, I, you know, we just put, put one foot in front of the other and um, the sun, especially when the sun shines and it's, a beautiful day and we can be outside among nature and and um and with family and friends that are loving and and kind and compassionate well linda brenneman again thank you so much for the time and the sharing and we look forward to touching base with you again as you continue the work that you are doing to make this world a better place as we are doing the same here and um we wish you uh much success and uh, encouraging others around you. So again, thank you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I thank you Thanks for listening. For
Yes, indeed. And thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast videocast, love to long. Jeanette, I am still listening. Dad, continue to be happy. To my dear friend Smokey, hey, I'll see you on the other side. And to my friend Zorro, aho. Aho. Uh -huh.